Egypt. He became a slave. And then the Bible talks about how a period of time went by when a new king arose who knew not Joseph and began to oppress the Jewish people and had them become his slaves, didn't he? And so now the people were slaves in the foreign land. That wasn't an easy thing for them, was it? It was a hard thing. But God had told them that they would be there. He told Abraham, hundreds of years before it came, that they would be oppressed for 400 years and then God was going to bring them out of there, didn't He? And so here they are in the middle of this terrible time in the land of Egypt. And then God's time came. And the Bible tells us that there was a family who had a baby born to them. And that family didn't listen to what the king said, did they? Because the king had passed the law that everyone had to take their baby boys and throw them in the river. Get rid of them. You can keep the baby girls alive, but the baby boys, destroy them. What mama would want to do that? No mother would want to throw their baby in the river and drown him, would they? And so Moses' parents disobeyed that commandment, didn't they? And for three months, they kept little Moses at home. You can imagine, those three months were probably lived in fear. As they're wondering, will the soldiers come by? Are they going to hear my baby in here and come in to find out whether it's a girl or a boy and find out that we've kept the boy and they're going to punish us and kill him? But they continued to do what was right in God's eyes, didn't they? And so Moses was brought up in his home for three months. Now, if you're studying the story of Moses at home in the Bible, as you open it up to the book of Exodus chapter 2, you begin to read through there, you don't see all the details of his life there, do you? It gets a very simple outline, but if you compare it with Acts chapter 7, where Stephen in his testimony before those men who were going to kill him shared their history, he talked about Moses and fills in a lot more details. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, you can find out some more details. And so I kind of combine all of those together in the story today so that you can get some more of the details of Moses' life. At about three months of age, the parents realized we can no longer hide this baby. And so they took him and they put him in a little basket, didn't they? A specially made little basket so it would float like a little ark of safety for Moses. And so there's Moses floating in the edge of the river, hidden in those reeds, with his sister Miriam watching from a distance. And what happens? Pharaoh's daughter comes down to wash in the river with her girls. What do you think went through Miriam's mind when she sees not just an ordinary Egyptian person coming, but the princess, the one whose father had passed the law that they were trying to get around by putting him in a little boat instead of throwing him in the water? I'm sure fear was in her heart, wasn't it? But God was in control, wasn't He? And so they see the little basket. She sends one of her girls out to fetch it. And when the basket is opened, the princess sees the little baby. And if she was from South Alabama, she'd have said something like this. Well, ain't he just the sweetest little thing you ever did see? 
And so she fell in love with that little baby, didn't she? And she decided to keep him. Miriam was watching. Miriam was listening. And she hears that and she runs right up to the princess. Now that had to take a lot of nerve too. Because here's the princess of Egypt and she's just a little slave girl. But she goes up to her and says, Ma'am, do you need somebody to take care of that baby for you? Yes. You want me to go get you somebody? Yes. And she runs home and brings her very own mother, the baby's mother, back to the princess. And the princess says to Jochebed, I want you to take care of my baby for me until he's old enough to come and live with me in the palace. And I'll pay you to do it. Whoa, that's a great thing, isn't it? Not only does Jochebed get to watch over her own son, but she gets paid to do it now. You mamas would love that, wouldn't you? And so Moses goes back to his home. And that's an incredible thing that this mother did because we don't know exactly how long she got to keep him. Three to five years probably was the top. But during those years, she maximized every moment with that boy to teach him and to train him the ways of their people and the ways of their God. So that Moses, when he is turned over to become Pharaoh's daughter, is ready. He's had a good foundation laid, hasn't he? Is it important to reach boys and girls with the gospel? Yes. Those first five years are critical in a child's development. What are they going to turn out to be? Well, it's set in those first five years a lot of times. And so it's very important. And we can see that from the story of Moses. And can we see self-control in his mother's life right there? She didn't want to turn him over to the princess, did she? But she had to let go and trust God, didn't she? And pray that... God would use those things she had been trying to instill in his mind for those years that she had him. And so now Moses, as a little guy, goes to live in the palace, and we read that he was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt, trained by the finest teachers that the land could offer, because, after all, he's the grandson of the king now. He's in line for the throne if there is no son there. And so they taught him and they trained him. And obviously, according to Acts, he learned it. Because it says that he was mighty in word and deed. And so now Moses, the Bible says, when he was grown, when he was 40 years old, it comes into his heart to go see his people and what's going on out there. And as we read the story, we find out that Moses goes out and as he's walking around that day, he sees some of those, Egypt, or some of those Hebrew slaves and one of them's getting a whooping from one of those Egyptian masters and Moses loses it. He looks around. Nobody's watching. You know what? One of the hardest times to do what's right is when nobody's watching. You may think that you can get away with whatever it is, Because there's nobody watching. Mom and dad aren't here. Your teachers aren't paying attention. Whatever. And you think you can get away with it. But there's someone who's always watching. 
And God wants us to do right no matter what, doesn't he? And so Moses goes against what he knew was right, and he kills the Egyptian. He's kind of taking things into his own hands because he believes that God has sent him to rescue these people. But he does it his way instead of God's way, doesn't he? The timing wasn't right. And so he kills the Egyptian, hides his body in the sand, and thinks, now my brothers and sisters out there are going to realize that I'm the deliverer. I'm the one. And so the next day he goes out again. And this time, not an Egyptian picking on a Hebrew slave, but another Hebrew fighting with a Hebrew slave. And so he goes up to them and says, Brothers, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be fighting your brothers. Treat each other right. And the Bible says, the one who was doing his fellow wrong said to Moses, basically, who do you think you are? Who made you the boss? And Moses listened to what he said because the man said, do you want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Ooh, news must have leaked out. And Moses was worried. Because he knew if the king found out about that, he's going to be executed. He's going to be called on it. And so the Bible says that Moses fled. He ran for his life. He had to get out of there. Now, did Moses show self-control in that instance? No. He was reacting out of anger. He killed the Egyptian. And he's taking things into his own hands. So now, God had to give him another lesson. He was 40 years old. He ran out into the desert. And the Bible says he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Doing what? Something that Egyptians hated. He became a shepherd. He met a family of girls taking care of sheep. He helped them. The father says, come live with me. Gave him a job. Gave him a wife. And so Moses spent 40 years in the desert following sheep and leading them around. Wasn't going to be a whole lot of difference between that and what he was going to be called to do in a little while, was it? Watching over sheep. And so there's Moses watching over the sheep. And when he was 80 years old, talk about a life of faithfulness. He stuck it out for 40 years to get retrained in God's school now. And when he was 80 years old, keeping sheep, one day he saw something that got his attention. He saw a bush that was burning, which probably wasn't unusual for that part of the desert. Lightning storms would probably catch things on fire, but there was something unusual about this fire. Because as he looked at that bush that was burning, it wasn't being consumed. The leaves were still probably green in there. He probably scratched his head and said, wait a minute, I'm going to go over here and see this great sight. How come the bush isn't getting burned up? And so God got his attention, didn't he, that day? And Moses went... And the Bible says, God called to him from the bush and told him that who he was, the great I am, the God of your fathers. And Moses durst not look, the old King James says. He didn't dare to look anymore on God. And God told him, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And Moses obeyed. After 40 years of training, Moses was getting ready, wasn't he? to do it God's way. 
And now God had to unlearn a few other things. Used to be, Moses was said to have been mighty in word and deed. What was one of the excuses he gave God for why he couldn't go back? I'm not a man who's eloquent. I can't speak. Whoa, what happened to him? Maybe he started to look inside and realize he wasn't quite as good as he thought. And now God could use him. You know, God uses those who realize they're not so great anyhow. We need him, don't we? And so Moses began a lesson of self-control under God's control. God called him to go. Now, this next picture doesn't fit the story, does it? I've got a penny. Biggest penny you ever saw, maybe. But there's my penny. Now, who can tell me what it says on the back of this penny without looking? Any of you know what it says on the back of a penny? You're still thinking about it. You don't look at your penny very often, do you? (laughs) It says, one cent. You know, pennies... Pennies remind me of a missionary and of all of us because one cent should also be spelled one cent. Moses was one cent by God to rescue his people from Egypt, wasn't he? He was to be their judge and deliverer, the Bible tells us. The exact same thing that they said, who made you to be a judge and a ruler over us? God sent him to be a judge and a deliverer. He sent him. And he also becomes a great illustration in the Bible of another one who even Moses himself promised would one day come. He said, God's going to raise up a prophet like me from among you. He will come to deliver you not just from physical bondage, but from spiritual bondage. Jesus came. He was sent by the Father. And He died on our behalf, didn't He? He died for us. He gave His life and shed His blood and rose again so that we could be forgiven if we would trust Him. And then Jesus, before He went back to heaven told his 12 disciples, his 11 that were left at that point, but he told his disciples, I'm sending you. And so the disciples were those who were sent by God. And that comes down to us too. Because Mark 15, 16 tells us, or 16, 15, I got that backwards, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We're part of that ye. We're part of that sent group, aren't we? God wants us to go. We're privileged as your missionaries to be sent from here, to go to South Alabama. We don't go to a third world country, though there were times we thought we were in one when we first moved down. But we were sent there by folks like you. And we consider it a privilege to be able to share. We get to work with the horses in the summertime, but our heart and our passion is to be with the kids out there in their schools 
sharing the gospel with them. We get to do that with over a thousand kids personally in three different schools that we're in. But overall, the ministry gets to see and minister to over 3,000 kids as a result of Camp Victory. And one of the premier missionaries, the, the first one down there in South Alabama, one of the first, her name was Miss B. Ames. Last November, she turned 100 years old, and I just got the word this morning that she went to glory last night. She's been wanting to be there for the last 20 years probably. But she faithfully served the Lord for 65 years before she got to the point where she could no longer go, and she wanted to be there. And when we would walk into the schoolroom with her, the teachers would get all excited, and they'd tell their first and second grade classes, this is Miss B. She was my teacher when I was your age. And not only that, she was my dad's teacher when he was your age. <laughs> That's the legacy that we get to follow in. And I trust that you continue to pray for us that we would be who God wants us to be. We were sent there by God. But just like our theme today, self-control... It doesn't stop just because you're a missionary. It doesn't automatically become instant obedience. And a lot of times people will put their missionaries up on a level that we're not. We're down there with you. We still struggle the same way you do. Just being faithful. Pray for us that we'll remain faithful and that we'll serve the Lord the way that He wants us to. Thank you for supporting us and being a part of our team. And let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the privilege to be sent by you. And Father, a, a penny is really not that much value on its own. But when it's put together with a whole bunch of other pennies, suddenly we can see the value. And we're just part of your family. We're thankful, Lord, that you've called us as a body of believers here in Millersville and wherever you have sent from this congregation. We're thankful to be a part of your team. Help us, Lord, individually and collectively to do the work that you've called us to do, to be faithful till you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.